0: I believe that the ability to communicate well has become the number one most sought after soft skill of our time, and not just in the workplace, but in our personal lives as well. We all want to be more engaging, more charismatic and authentic in front of an audience and in one-on-one conversation. Bottom line, we want to shine, and that's where I come in. I have coached hundreds of clients, helping them to shine in high-pressure situations whether on camera for CNN or CNBC, the Oprah show, or for the TED stage, or sometimes even just helping clients navigate a tough conversation. But now, I want to offer you everything I know about communicating well. And for the next 20 minutes, give or take, I will give you high voltage, practical, and highly irreverent advice to help you dismantle the communication habits that are holding you back while giving you the skills you need to shine But enough with the preamble. Let's dive in. The most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't said. The very wise Peter Drucker once said that, and I couldn't agree more. The fact is, listening has a PR problem. It sounds passive and weak, and it sounds like something we already know how to do, Hence, we're not really interested in learning more about it because we think we've got it nailed. But imagine for a moment how wild, vast, and alive your inner life is. And then consider that the other 7.5 billion people roaming the planet with us have that same vast, wild, alive inner expanse. And the only bridge connecting my inner world to yours is my ability to truly listen to you. And without that bridge, we're just two people yapping at each other, right? All sound and fury, no connection. Without real listening, we miss out on each other's full humanity. In this context, the skill of listening takes on this vital, urgent quality, especially these days, right? But the truth is listening isn't something we are taught. Most of us learned about listening by watching our parents or siblings or grandparents or aunts and uncles and God help us. I don't know about your family of origin. My family of origin has a lot of wonderful things about it. I wouldn't describe us as exceptionally great listeners, though. (laughs) But what is listening, really? One of my favorite non-definitions, because I don't think the author was intending to define it per se... But the most interesting observation slash definition of listening I've ever come across comes from Mark Nepo, who is a brilliant poet. And if you're not familiar with him, go find his work. It's just to die for. And this this line is taken from his book, One Thousand Ways to Listen. Quote, the placeholder we call listening is merely the eye hole to the kaleidoscope, the shell we hold to our ear that somehow reveals the music of the ocean." end quote, "I love that definition for a million reasons, but mostly because it shows us the messiness, the complexity, the richness, the vividness, the preciousness that is the other person, or that is the world around us. And to be haphazard about how we listen and perceive that world, whether it's the natural world or the inner lives of other people to pretend like it's no big deal and we all know how to do it. And so it doesn't require talking or thinking about, I think it does a disservice to what listening really is. I personally became aware of my own listening deficit when I started therapy. I started to see in the course of working with my therapist that I was actually Pretty terrified of the emotional lives of the people surrounding me. I just found other people's inner lives tumultuous and scary and overwhelming, and their emotional weather was just too stormy for me to deal with. And as a pretty sensitive person, I found that I was listening at like an eighth of my capacity, right? Because my listening filter was clogged by fear or anger or projection or defensiveness or even manipulation sometimes. And it made me a terrible listener. And I noticed that when I heard something I didn't like, I ceased being able to actually hear what was being said. My emotions clouded my senses and it just shut me down. It was as if if I was angry or hurt or frustrated or outraged, I just lost my ability to perceive anything with any accuracy. And here's what I learned from that experience that I want to share with you. Emotions are critically important to understanding ourselves, and they play an absolutely crucial role in our ability to communicate well. But emotions, if left unchecked, can really jam up our filter as we listen, right? Rage will clog up your filter, as will sadness, as will embarrassment or any other emotion. And what I've learned is that unless we diligently work to make sure we are listening through a clear mental filter, we will never be able to bridge the distance between me and you, us and them. We will never get to we Right? We will never experience the kaleidoscope, the shell-to-the-ear level of rich listening. So what is deep listening? What is this thing, this clear perception, this state of truly being able to perceive what's coming through? I believe that there are two mental filters that we're listening through at all times. When we listen to someone through the filter of little you i.e. fear, shame, anxiety. Remember, if you don't know what I mean by little you, go back to the first podcast and I'll explain it in great detail. But when we listen through the filter of little you, we're listening through a dirty filter. Why? Because little you is tuning in and out. It's half listening or it's listening through the blocked filter of an emotion, right? Nothing really is getting through. Maybe a little, but not really. But when we listen through the filter of big you, we're able to focus on the words and the emotional information behind the words, which means we are listening through a clear filter. If you listen with a clear filter, you will literally leave a conversation with such a profound understanding of what went down. People will ask you if you're telepathic. I mean, I, I've I've gotten good at this over the years, and sometimes I'll leave a meeting and say, oh, this is what I observed. And people will be like, where the hell did you get all that? It's because big me was allowed to do my perceiving for me. So let's talk about that a little bit more. How do you listen through a big you filter? There are really two steps here. The first step in listening deeply and making sure big U is at the helm is to get to that place of integrity. And when I say integrity, I don't mean righteousness or, you know, I see the world through black and white and I'm right and you're wrong. I don't mean like that kind of moral outrage integrity. I mean integrity in the true definition, which means wholeness. If we hope to listen well, We must be in a state of inner wholeness. In other words, we have to get right with ourselves. And the first part of that, of course, is clearing out our minds of junk thought patterns, right? Remember the series I did on junk thoughts? The five of them were inferiority, superiority, us versus them, scarcity, victim, narratives, perfectionism. Those things rip you out of a state of integrity, they tear you to ribbons. And we need to be willing to replace those thought patterns with their opposite, right? If we're having an inferiority attack, we gotta get to equality, same with superiority. If we're feeling an us versus them jam, we gotta find a way to get to we, unity. If we're feeling a scarcity vibe, we've gotta get to a feeling of enoughness, sufficiency, or even better, abundance. If we're feeling victimized, we got to get to a place of choice. And if we're feeling a perfection attack, we have to remember that the goal is connection, right? So to make sure you're listening through that big you filter that is crystal clear, you need to make sure those junk thoughts have been replaced by mantra, full stop. It is impossible to listen and perceive clearly if any one of these dirty five are happening in your mind. But let's say you've done the mantra work. Let's say your mind is like flowing with thought patterns of equality and unity and abundance and empowerment and connection. Now what? What if somebody says something shitty and now you're perceiving that shitty comment with a wide open filter? Clears a bell. Yikes. You feeling a little exposed, right? You don't have the comforts of those junk thoughts to protect you, right? Let me introduce you to one of the great great tools of communication. And this is part of your ability to be in a state of integrity as you communicate. Are you ready? I like to call it the life-changing magic of taking nothing personally. Unlike plain old hearing, which is constantly sort of on. Deep listening only functions under the right conditions. And the most important condition is this, take nothing personally ever, even when it is personal. It is totally possible and entirely within your power to choose not to take something personally. Why make that choice? Let me just play this scenario out for you. Let's say you're in a conversation. Or a meeting, or worse, on stage, and someone says something crappy that hits you right in the solar plexus, and your heat face heats up, and your heart raises, and you feel rage or fear or embarrassment or sadness, and suddenly you've realized you've missed the last three minutes of the meeting or conversation because you've been completely lost in your own reaction, and if you're someone whose default reaction is to fight. You're considering your counterattack, right? But if your default reaction is flight or freeze, you may be plotting ways to get out of the meeting as quickly as possible or stay as small as possible and say absolutely nothing in the meantime. Either way, from my perspective as your communication coach, the moment you've taken something personally, big you vanishes, poof, gone. Little you comes pouncing forward and it is now highly unlikely that anything good will come out of your mouth. And whether or not a comment or gesture or facial expression is intended to be a personal attack is not relevant. I don't care whether the attack was intentional or not. The only goal is to call back big you and return to your place of clear perception and strength and integrity, no matter how nasty the exchange is, right? Taking things personally has real physiological and psychological consequences because here's the thing. Once the amygdala, the part of your brain that records memory, decision-making, and emotional reactions, once that amygdala sends a 911 message that an attack is underway, it triggers the HPA, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. I know, it's crazy. And the HPA axis reaction overrides our rational brain, otherwise known as the neocortex. In fact, overrides isn't even a strong enough term for it. So therapists a lot of times will call it an amygdala hijacking. What gets lost in this neurological hijacking is our access to the neocortex. Why is that important? Because you know what lives in the neocortex? Creativity, problem solving, empathy, no big whoop, right? But here's the thing. If the amygdala senses all is well and that you're safe, it allows the neocortex, the place where creativity, problem-solving, empathy live. It allows the neocortex to keep running things. In other words, if you give into your instinct to take something personally, you've just said goodbye to rationally and intelligently manage a conversation, period. So every time I give a talk to an audience and we go through this part, invariably someone raises their hand and says, that is really easier said than done. Like, are you freaking kidding me? We'd all love to not take things personally. It's really hard. To which I say, I completely agree, but it's doable. And step one is to calm the F down. (laughs) Technically speaking, of course. Listen, the best listeners are those who feel fundamentally safe in their skin, Sound familiar? It's where the podcast began, right? We're at our best when we feel safe. We're also the best listeners when we feel safe. The best listeners don't allow situations or conversations to threaten their basic sense of safety and enoughness. In other words, good listeners know how to stay grounded and calm the F down when things get hot. And this kind of groundedness doesn't just happen. It requires what I like to think of as kind of a ritual, And that ritual of being grounded and calming the F down, if all you've got is a split second to make that shift, you need to have some kind of calm the F down ritual that starts way before the tricky conversation in the form of a morning ritual, right? The best communicators, guys, there's no way around this. The best communicators I've ever met have some sort of daily ritual that involves three things. One, conscious breathing. Two, setting an intention for the day, the week, life. And three, being grateful for what's going on in life. I don't know anyone great at communicating that doesn't have some form of this. And listen, you don't have to get precious or weird about this practice, right? You don't need to have a statue of Ganesha or rosary beads or sage or crystals, right? It can happen in the shower. It can happen on a yoga mat. It can happen in your chair. The important thing is that you do it every single day, even if it's only for three to five minutes. Why? Because without some sort of grounding practice, you will always feel like a passive participant in a life that seems completely out of your control. Without a grounding practice, we get tossed around in the waves of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we think, Jesus, where'd the week go? And what's the point of all this? Three minutes of breathing consciously, inhaling, exhaling, the longer your inhales and exhales, the calmer you feel. This practice of breathing consciously, intention setting, and gratitude will change the way you feel because the thoughts we generate with setting a good intention for the day, coupled with thoughts of gratitude, generate feelings of well being. And those high vibes generate behaviors that are high-minded, behaviors that are from a place of groundedness. And this little ritual grounds you in the moment and temporarily suspends that voice of little you, right? And it allows you to notice the incredible life you happen to be sitting smack dab in the middle of. So just to give you a sense of how my ritual goes, and I'm telling you this as a reminder, this is how I'm able to not take things personally so often. I'm not perfect at it but I mostly don't take things personally. So my ritual this morning was no big whoop, right? I got up, I made this awesome, like hippie tonic I read about that's (laughs) ginger and turmeric and pepper and cayenne and lemon and honey. And I drank it and I went and sat on my yoga mat and I just stretched out the kinks in my back that felt painful. And I did about five minutes of breathing, five more minutes of yoga. And then I sat down and did my to-do list and my mental state looking at my to-do list was so much clearer. And then once my to-do list was done, I got a cup of coffee and I started doing my stuff, right? But that backbone, that that beginning of the day that is so intentional and so grounded frees me up to make plans to do the things that need to be done with the highest possible expression of myself. And that big me knows better than to take something personally. And listen, that state of blissful peace I was having in my yoga mat with my, my tonic, it's temporary of course, but that ritual has muscle memory. And that ability to get grounded and strong, the more it's practiced, the more you have access to it. And when things go sideways later today, which they will, I can return to that breath and I can conjure those feelings just by seeing myself on that yoga mat filled with gratitude and intention and bam, big me is back in the driver's seat, right? That's what I want for you. And I have a few mantras that I really love that keep me in that state of integrity as I'm working to not take things personally. This is one of my favorites. Sometimes I'm the teacher, sometimes I'm the student, so if you're in my line of work, which is getting up and teaching a lot, it's really scary when you realize from one moment to the next that somebody knows more than you do, right? It happens to me all the time, but it's it's always a little alarming because I've got this role in my head Of superiority that I always have to work to dismantle around being a teacher. So I will say to myself before I go into a room, sometimes I'm the teacher and sometimes I'm the student, and that allows me to accept whatever goes on in one of my workshops or conversation or or an interaction, right? It helps keep me in a state of alertness that I can pay attention to what is happening to me through the lens of learning instead of through the lens of being sensitive that somebody's gonna take control over my workshop or know more than me and make me feel bad, right? As an example, recently I was giving a talk to a very large group of salespeople and we were talking about how to convey confidence using different stances and postures and you know, superwoman pose and superman pose and all those good things. And in the middle of it, a gentleman from South Korea raised his hand and he said, you know, some of these tips will work well with an American audience, but they work less well with an Asian audience. And immediately little me was like, how dare he? Which quickly morphed into, oh my God, he's right. And I'm a huge fraud. I don't know anything about doing business in Seoul. I've never been there. Oh my God, he knows more than me. I felt that process start and I felt myself taking his comment personally. But because of my ritual, because of my personal mission to be both teacher and student, I was able to quiet little me and remind myself, this is a student moment, Bronwyn, let this man teach. So I asked if he wouldn't mind coming up and showing us what he meant and how he would use body language to connect and convey confidence with a South Korean audience. And he said, well, that's the actually the thing with what you're teaching. If you're in a meeting with Korean business people, confidence isn't what they're looking for. They're looking for someone trustworthy. It is a trustworthy impression you must make. And again, little me, of course, reared up like, did he just say there was a problem with my teaching? But big me, thankfully, was on hand and said, let this man teach, and I gave him the floor. And he did this amazing demonstration of how to properly bow and hand over business cards using both hands. And it just led to this incredibly rich conversation about protocol and business and cross-cultural understanding. It was awesome. I mean, I loved it, the audience loved it, but had I taken that man's comment personally and tried to maintain control, quote unquote, over my own workshop, it wouldn't have ended well for any of us, which actually leads me to the second component. So we've been talking about integrity, right? and being in a state of wholeness and groundedness and strength. But we need to talk about the second piece to this, which is you've gotten right with yourself. You're in a place of integrity. How do you get right with your audience? This is the other piece of listening deeply. And because we're running out of time, we're going to pick up this thread next week. Okay? My God, 20 minutes goes by fast. I hope you have a beautiful week. I hope that you're able to give people around you the kaleidoscope listening treatment, that deep listening treatment. You've got a lot to think about from a place of, from the perspective of staying in integrity and wholeness. For your homework this week, if you're into it, figure out what your ritual is. Even if it's five minutes, stick to it stick to it. I forgot to tell you one of my other favorite things about my ritual that I'm working with right now is I'm not allowing myself to look at anything digital until after I have eaten breakfast. So I have to like do my stretches, say my prayers, breathe for three minutes, eat something, and only then can I reach for my phone. That's been like enormously useful. That's a relatively new part of my ritual in the morning. Anyway, guys, thank you for giving me your ears, your hearts, your minds. And I hope you have a blessed, exciting, marvelous week. Shine on, you crazy diamonds.